You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. The day after transfer deadline day, I know a lot of people are feeling a little bit flat, a little bit underwhelmed. But here to help us make sense of all of it is the brilliant Adrian Clark. Adrian, welcome back to the show, mate. It's been a while. How have you been? Yeah, all good. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, yeah, good to be back on the show with you. And yeah, I'll try and make sense of it. I'll do my best. I can't make any promises at this stage. But yeah, look, it's, I know everybody's feeling a little bit down in the dumps, but but certainly all is not lost. Uh, plenty to play for, and and it's within it's still within our grasp to to achieve what we set out to achieve at the start of the season. Absolutely, completely agree. I was just having a little bit of a chuckle at some of the live comments coming through. Uh, Jid, one of our members, says, Harry being this latest non-negotiable uh, <laughs> is brilliant. Um, what was the other one? There was one that said, I'm being held hostage by my wife and he's not allowed to log on until he finishes his spaghetti. Bond. What? <laughs> completely random. But anyway, brilliant stuff. Um, Adrian, let's kick off by getting your overall thoughts on the transfer window. Because I think a lot of people... We're actually quite accepting of the fact that we probably needed to move a lot of the players who left uh, on and that we needed to to clear space for hopefully some some big additions in the summer. But I think a combination of that and the fact that we didn't bring anybody of, in of any real significance has led to a lot of people feeling, feeling like they've been shortchanged this window, I guess. What's your overall take on the window and, and how it went? I think the overall take is one uh, of underwhelmment, really, because because we we did we do look a little bit light on numbers, and it would I think have given us such a boost to bring in a front player that that would have given us that injection of goals in the second half of the season. Because if you look around at, at West Ham in particular, they failed to find any of their targets. So that's a, that's a missed chance for them. Spurs have, have got rid of a few and brought a couple in, but they didn't. You know, they didn't get that right wing back that they wanted so badly for the balance of the team. So I don't think they're any further forward necessarily. And, and Manchester United are probably weakened. So there was that opportunity to steal a march on on the others, but it's kind of as you were, isn't it? In, in terms of of the playing personnel and, and and yeah, we've got we've got a chance. We're lean, we're young, we're hungry, but we're also very reliant on injuries. So so or avoiding injuries. So that is the. The, the real frustration. I've got no issues at all with any of the outgoings. I think that that for, for various reasons, you know, most of the players were fringe and wouldn't have got much game time. So to get them off the books is 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 fine in my opinion. It's probably been overdue, hasn't it, to in terms of of, of trimming the the wage bill. The only one that I'd say was a slight head scratcher was the Maitland-Niles one, which I think suits the player more than the club. We could have done having sold Chambers, of course, or you know, been we were prepared clearly prepared to sell Chambers. Could have done with him as cover at right back, I think, and also he could have covered in central midfield where we're not, you know, not exactly full of players. So, so that's the one that I'd, I'd quibble about. But but the others, you know, including Abamyang, I, I think makes sense to me. 
Yeah, we'll come on to talk about Aubameyang in a bit because obviously that's the the most high profile of the departures. And you mentioned that Ainsley Maitland-Niles transfer there, and and you've been a player, Adrian. You've mm-hmm. you've played. You've you know you've been in dressing rooms. You understand that dynamic more than any of us could ever you know understand it. If an agreement was made, a gentleman's agreement, shall we call it that, between Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Mikel Arteta, I mean, surely. Mikel Arteta deciding to then go back on that and Arsenal deciding to go back on that can not only have an impact on that player and your relationship with that individual, but on the wider dressing room as well, right? Because if you're a colleague and you're looking on, you see that a promise has been made and then broken, Mm. that would change the kind of way that you're viewed as a manager, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that the best managers are always managers that are honest and, and trusted by the players that they work with. As soon as a manager loses the trust of their players. If a player thinks, I can't, you know, if he tells me something, I can't believe him. I can't, you know, I can't rely on that to actually happen. That That, that, that is a problem, a, a big problem. Um, and, and half the time, it is where managers make false promises, where, where relationships break down and then the dressing room, in effect, collapses as do results. So, no, I do get that. Um and, and if, you know, look, none, I don't know whether that's fact that, that a promise was made or not, but if it was, then then I, I have respect for them for for sticking to it. But but it certainly it, it was a decision that certainly helps the player rather than the, rather than the club, because, yeah, he's a very handy utility player to, to have around, even if long term you don't you don't see him as being a starter. So, yeah, look, it, it happened early on in the window. Um, maybe if it if it had happened at the end of the window, I probably could have. It would have made more sense. But it happened at a time when we were really short, yeah. and uh, and it and it and it definitely hindered. I think our progress in the, in that League Cup semi final. Yeah, good point. What did you make of the kind of the players that we were linked with signing? Now we know, or, or we're led to believe that Arsenal, you know, went and made a play for Dusan Vlavic of, of Fiorentina. On the one hand we're sitting here as fans saying that we have to be aiming for the very best. But on the other hand, we kind of have to accept, don't we, that there will be disappointment from time to time because of where we are in terms of our development. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, Juventus, whether we like it or not, kind of trump Arsenal, don't they, at the moment in terms of stature in the in the world game where they're, where they're at. So, And he's a player that's obviously very comfortable in in, in Italian football. And so he knows that he can deliver goals at, at that level. It suits him. So, so yeah, it, it makes sense to me that that he would have chosen us. But yeah, I like the fact that we were chasing him. I think he was he's the right type of player. Um, that the one source of frustration, I guess, is that if we if we were in the market for a striker, and if we we knew we'd be in the market for a striker from sort of early December when the Abamyang fallout happened, then then I do think we had, you know, quite a bit of time to to line up, you know, two or three potential options because that's what happens when when clubs work out their transfer plans. They have Plan A, Plan B, and Plan C. It's their prerogative if they, if they want to go to Plan B or C or not, of course. But but that that is how it works. So the fact that it was that guy or or seemingly nothing, then you know that's slightly surprising, but. With, with with Isak, you might come on to if if the fee, you know, if the demands of Real Sociedad were as high as as being reported, then then again, I can see the logic in in why Arsenal would would have walked away from that in the here and now. 
Yeah, me too. And and I think, as I said on one of the recent podcasts, I felt like if we had moved for Alexander Isak, like actually moved for him rather than just it being speculation mm. earlier in the window, maybe there would have been time to negotiate with Real Sociedad and find a, a common ground. Maybe there would have been time for Real Sociedad to identify a replacement that then allows them to move him on. Mm. I think the fact that we turned supposedly, and all of this is according to the reports, right? So we've got to be mindful of that. But the fact that we turned to him so late just felt like if I were that player, I wouldn't feel wanted. I wouldn't feel loved. No, exactly. and, yeah, and then yeah. that player's not going to push for the move, is he? No, no, it's, it's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, it, all the eggs seem to be in the Vlajevic basket. And and yeah, if you're the next in line, you don't want to know that you're the next in line. You want to feel like you, you, you were number one all along. So, but it, yeah, it is what it is. Arsenal have now bought themselves a bit of time to weigh up who is the best option. The truth is we might be looking at two or three strikers in the summer transfer window now, rather than just the one. I, I, one thing I will say, even though we're, we're all disappointed that some, that no one arrived, I do like the players that we were linked with. You know, I liked Vlajevic. Um, I like Isak from what I've seen of him. And I definitely like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now, it's not the right time to, to prize him away from Everton with that change of management. That that worked against us clearly. But but if if it's true that we are seriously looking at him as an option, I would I would support that wholeheartedly because I think he's a really really good talent that that could succeed and thrive for Arsenal, no doubt about it. What did you make of uh, of the Abamyang situation then? Because uh, like as fans looking in, we don't really know what's gone on. We're kind of I think assuming that what happened was probably deeper than what we were told because of the severity of the punishment. But I guess. From my perspective, Adrian, I don't know if you agree with this. If if he wasn't going to play, if if it had gone that far and there was no kind of turning back, mm. then actually letting him go, even on a free transfer, saves us a hell of a lot of money and, and feels like a sensible move. No, definitely. You won't catch me disagreeing with that. No, it's, it's, it's the decision in itself that is the, I guess, the the point of contra- controversy. It's not the fact that we let him go on a free because I think as a business transaction it's fair enough it's quite a good deal because we you know we saved a lot of money many many millions in in wages on a player that is on the way and I think that we can say that not just because he's now left but he is a player on the way and he's not he's at 32 he's not the player he was at 28 that there's no argument about that so so no it makes it makes sense and and the player clearly wanted to go in the end so it, it's it's. It just feels to me as if the the club or the manager just sees the opportunity to make the change, um, you know, via the the breach of discipline, which which wasn't pre-planned. It's just one of those things. Mm. It, he's made he's made two or three mistakes in the past. The line in the sand is drawn. Mikel Arteta has decided that that on that next discretion indiscretion, that's enough. Now. In most circumstances, when a play that happens, you sort of end up, you know, as an apology and you get on with things and, and, and you know, apology maybe for, from a Bamiyang and, and you crack on. But in this scenario, I just feel that because he was out of form, because he was on such good money, because the potential to, to recoup all that wages and give it to a younger, hungrier player might present itself. It, it kind of an opportunity was seized, I think, to to you know 
go down the path that that we have over the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, that that's how I see it, and and it, it makes complete sense to me. Mm. I think as a for, from Mikel Arteta's point of view as well. No, it does, it does, and 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 I've always said that even prior to the whole disciplinary sort of stuff, you know, all of that thing, all of that coming out, even prior to the North London derby thing last season, I felt like tactically we kind of evolved away from Aubameyang naturally, mm. not because he's not a good striker. He will mm. probably go to Spain and score a fair <laughs> amount of goals. He's, he's, he's a brilliant footballer. There's no doubt about that, but it just felt like we were moving away. And, and I tend to agree with you that it was an opportunity probably that the club felt they needed to seize. But it is a decision, isn't it, that is going to draw more pressure onto the club and onto Mikel Arteta in particular. Because if we continue to struggle to score goals, as we have done in the last month or so, there are a lot of Arsenal fans that aren't convinced he's the right man. And this just feels like another stick they'll beat him with. It's a really strong decision. One thing I will say is that it's a show of faith from the club in the manager that they've that they've backed him in, in, in the sort of dispute between manager and player and... And they've gone with his wishes there, so I think it's a sign of you know it's a sign of strength in in their belief in in Arteta. Um, but yeah, all eyes will be will be on him and the team. Of course, they will be because because we're effectively left with Lacazette, who wasn't a first choice player in the in the first part of the season, and we're left with Eddie Nketiah, who's had fifty one minutes of Premier League action, uh, four substitute appearances. Now, Mikel Arteta. Hasn't wanted to use Eddie and Ketty in the Premier League this season. So, but but now there is there is no option if if Alexander Lacazette is is injured or suspended or whatnot. So unless of course we move Martinelli up front, which which I wouldn't be wouldn't be against. So um, yeah, all eyes will be on the team. It heaps the pressure actually, even more pressure on Saka and Smith Rowe, doesn't it? Who yeah. <laughs> you know carrying the team in terms of in terms of goals this season. There'll be even more reliance on on them to continue doing that um but yeah it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see what happens if Lacazette does get injured or loses what form. the next plan is yeah would, would it be Nketiah or uh, and stick with the, the the young wide guys or would it be Martinelli to go up front and if it is Martinelli it it goes back to the style of play we had under Aubameyang where you don't really have that focal point but you have a guy that's that's more than capable of sort of standing on the shoulder of defenders and making those runs in behind um so will we go back to that? Um, so yeah, it'd be fascinating to see what what unfolds. But I think we're all we're all keeping uh, our fingers and toes crossed that that nothing does happen to Lacazette because all of a sudden he's gone from being a sub that didn't get enough game time to being you know our most important player really between now and the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there was always an acceptance in my mind, Adrian, that we were going to have to kind of rip out a lot of what had been done in the years prior and then rebuild but I don't think I imagined that we'd get to the point where the squad was this thin and that is a a big cause for concern for people I mean if you take for example the centre-back position Mm. you know I know that Takahiro Tomiyasu can play Mm. at centre-back and maybe that played a part in the decision but to let Pablo Marie go and Callum Chambers Mm. and leave yourself with holding uh, White and Gabriel as a trio you know yeah you can slot in one of the fullbacks if you need to but it just it feels like we've left ourselves a little bit like there as well as up top. Mm. Um, you know, obviously the midfield situation, which we touched on briefly, that was, I think the height of that problem was in January and we didn't do anything then. So maybe it wasn't wise to be knee jerk mm. 
at the end of the month to solve that. But it just feels like personnel wise, we're really thin. And I know nowadays we're kind of spoiled, aren't we? We we look at squads of 25 men when, you know, somebody pointed out in the in the chat the other day, I think it was 13 or 14 players. We won the double in 71 with. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> Different times. <laughs> times have changed. Yeah. So like is. How much of a concern is that for you with when you take into consideration the frequency with which we're picking up injuries, the fact that COVID is still very prevalent and the fact that we seem to have this disciplinary issue that leads to suspensions uh, pretty often? There are pros and cons to it, definitely. The cons are obvious. It's, if, if, inj- if injuries bite, then we're in trouble, aren't we? And, and, and the, the quality of that starting eleven is diminished. And, and let's face it, every match is like a final now at seven. Every match is huge between now and the end of the season. Um, every drop point will matter. So we've, we've got to be at it for every single game. There are no distractions, no excuses really. So, so yeah, it, that's, that's the obvious neg- negative, but, the, but the, the pro, the positive is that when you have that small group of players, every single member of that first team squad is highly motivated and feels involved because at any point they know they've got a chance of being used. Now, that hasn't been the case until this point where you've had a lot of sort of players that are out of favour, not making the matchday squad that that might be moping around the place. They might be, you know, you know, bitching <laughs> about about, about the, the manager, about the coaches, about the situation. You, you get this because it's a group of men together, lots of testosterone. You're going to get people that are moaning and groaning. Yeah. And, and those are normally the guys that are out of favour. Now, no one can really be out of favour given given how small the squad is at the moment. They'll all be heavily involved and they'll all be a lot they'll all feel there's great motivation to perform in training because if they do, then they'll they'll get their opportunities between now and the end of the season. So so I definitely see a positive, but we're very reliant on good fortune, aren't we? And I don't know, anyone that follows Arsenal or has followed Arsenal in recent years. Every supporter will feel this of, of their club, no matter what. But it doesn't feel like Arsenal get that much good luck. No. So, <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to see see how it pans out. No, I completely agree. It, it always feels like we, you know, we we get the the bad fortune. It, it seems to follow us around. That you know, we don't help ourselves in in certain situations. I think that's clear. Um, just a question I wanted to ask you about, obviously, because everybody knows that you do some work for the club and that you're quite involved and. And obviously people appreciate that and understand that. Mm. What I wanted to ask you, though, was when you're working with the club at the moment and when you're in and around the place, does it feel like Mikel Arteta is the focal point of this new strategy in the way it felt when, for example, Arsene Wenger was around the place where everything was manager centric and everybody was dancing to his tune because... Mm. I think a lot of people are, are struggling looking from the outside to understand why that is with Mikel Arteta because they be- perceive there to be a lack of progress. But the club are really all in on this, aren't they? I think they are. Uh, the honest answer is uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I do, you know, I do do still do the breakdown, even though it's not being shown um, on the website. You know, I did the match day show, the breakdown live. But I'm in and out. I'm in and out. I don't really get to have a feel of the club. I don't see the players. Obviously, with the COVID situation, the training ground is, is you know, it's very difficult to sort of get access there. I, I'm not involved, is, is the honest answer. So I don't know. But but I, I what I 
what I get the the impression of is that yeah, they the club are all in on him. They're very supportive. What again? I go back to the Abamian situation. That is a show of real faith in the manager because they're saying they're taking his side over star players' side, aren't they? And and arranging effectively for him to 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 leave the club. So so no, they, they are all in on on Mikel Arteta. But we we know that football is is a results business. So and 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 progress, tangible progress is qualification for for Europe, isn't it? Next season, we all yeah. dream of the top four. The door is open. It feels more ajar this season than it might next. So there's a chance there. But for him, um, European qualification, e.g. top six, does still feel like a must, even though he's got, got the full support. Yeah, and, and that kind of segues nicely into what my next question was going to be, is have your thoughts on the season sort of how have they how's the journey been in terms of your opinion on Arsenal because I'm assuming that at the start of the season you'd have set a, a target that you felt was realistic and then going into the back end of last year things were on the up and maybe that was slightly adjusted and and now we are where we are how is your kind of expectations have they changed at all first of all and if they have where yeah. have the kind of ups and Do downs you know- been I think I'm probably, I started off with the expectation that we would finish fifth or sixth, that we would make progress, but maybe not enough to, to get into the Champions League. That's more based on the strength of the other teams than, than, than our, you know, any weakness on our part. I then started to get super excited, as I think we all did, because, because of the other teams, you know, stumbling and we really hit, hit a lovely groove. And now I think I'm back where I started <laughs> in terms of yeah, expectation. I still I believe that we're underdogs for top four, but I feel that we should we should absolutely be finishing ahead of West Ham in the league this season and Wolves and Leicester and teams like that. Um, Spurs, you know, who knows? I think I think we're a little bit better than Spurs, but but they've got an excellent manager in Conte, haven't they? And United um, have got the better squad, haven't they? I don't think there's any any doubt doubt about that so yeah what the the one the one thing that that has stayed with me over the season so far that that I'm really secure on is that the connection between the players and the crowd inside Emirates Stadium is uh, is better now than it has been for many years it's absolutely fantastic the atmosphere is terrific inside the ground the Twitter Arsenal Twitter and the online community not not so in line maybe with 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 the team as the fans that actually go to the games i i do feel that there's been a real really good support this season great noise levels and even in disappointment they've stuck with the players and stuck with the manager um to 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 a degree as well so so that is the big plus for me so far this season the connection between the team and i would include the manager in that and the supporters is is really strong it can fall apart. We all know that yeah. <laughs> if you start losing loads of games. But but it's been great. And and my wish, actually, for the remainder of the season is, is that that continues because it is a happier place to be on a match day. You know, I work, work there pretty much every home game. It's a happier place than it was, no doubt about it. Yeah, that. for sure. And I've definitely felt that uh, being there in the North Bank. You know, I've, I've definitely felt that. And I think the biggest telltale sign of that was the Manchester City game where we got beat, but everybody was still completely back in the team and, and actually in quite good spirits considering yeah. we'd been beaten. And yeah. that's when I looked around and thought, do you know what? Like We're with this team. And I yeah. think a lot of the issues 
that people have right now are, you know, we've left ourselves thin and we've got, uh, you know, really inexperienced players that we're relying on. But I feel bought into this team and bought into this squad. And you're kind of willing to to live and die with them if you feel that way. And I think we've definitely got that. And a, a transfer window or a couple of poor results along the way shouldn't detract from that, right? No, I do agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all proud, aren't we, of the young team, of, of the young players. We're really proud of Saka and Smith Rowe and, and Martinelli. These guys, they've been superb. All of the young players have, have delivered this season, all of the ones that are in the team, of course. And, and that has been brilliant. And when young players perform and play with such fight and heart, it, it's easy to buy into it. It really is. And, and that has been, that has, that that was Arteta's plan, wasn't it? That was the club's plan to to lower the age of the starting eleven, to bring in younger, hungrier players. So in that sense, their you know their process, as, as we like to hear, is it, it has worked to a degree. And then you have to obviously marry that with with the good results. What I think we just need now is is actually the the senior players, the older guys, to to do their bit now and to. Stay on the pitch. <laughs> to, that was help to, to deliver consistently excellent performances alongside these these youthful talents. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, what we need is is Xhaka, Partey, and and Lacazette to to really step up in in the second half of the season and and perform like they can and be the leaders that that we know that they can be as well. Absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, we'll take a few of your questions for the last few minutes or so. So please do get them in the live chat. There's over 650 of you watching us live on YouTube alone right now, uh, which is incredible. So please do hit the like button if you haven't done so already. We haven't even hit 100 likes yet. What's going on, people? Hit the like button. <laughs> Let's get that up as far as we can. I hate saying it. I hate asking for it, but it really does help the channel and it really does help with growth. So please do get involved. Make sure you give Adrian a follow on Twitter as well. You can see his Twitter to handle on the screen and for those of you listening via the audio platforms i'll make sure that i get that in the description for you as well um let's uh, let's go over to the comment section let's see what people are saying uh ant says uh, spot on adrian match going fans are king <laughs> look that's not to say that no. that the fans that are abroad or watch from overseas are not important but i think you do that atmosphere in the stadium is really important because that's what transmits to the players. Mm. And too many times in the past, Adrian, I think we've been to games um, and we've seen the, the team lose the crowd really early. And then that just makes a, mole, a mountain out of a molehill in terms mm. of what we have to climb. And it's it's not helpful. It, it's not, no. And no, it's no, I'm not having a pop at the other fans that don't get to go to the games. You know, the, the, the majority of Arsenal fans are absolutely superb. Um, you, you get a few, but everyone's entitled to their own opinions yeah. as well. So, so those that are criticised and, and that do feel season over, then, then they've got the right to feel like that. I think they're wrong. Don't think it's season over, but, but yeah, the, the supporters that go to the games do not view this team, you know, as, as one that's underachieving. I think they, they, they see a team with real promise. They see a team that's playing for the badge. And and I think they can see improvement. The City game is a prime example. Um, there are others. We've got to start winning, by the way, against the big four. We've got to, we've got you know the, the the sort of elite or the big three rather. Mm. The, the Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. We could do a win over win against them, but but the performance against City, the bravery of it, 
the way we committed to Arteta's tactics. Same as against Liverpool when we were down to 10 men, the, the commitment for the badge there in that in that goalless draw, the commitment to the change in tactical you know, philosophy in, in, for that game only, it was brilliant. And yeah. um, and I think that the fans do respond to that. So, um, so yeah, there are lots of positives, but but if Hard we end up if, today, if the though, season for if the season mm. tails off into one of where we're finishing seventh or something like that, then then there is that that danger of of, of that mood souring, I guess. But but in the here and now, I, th- I still think it's good, and and the players will need that that positive energy even more between now and the end of the season. It's sort of a trimmed down, lean squad. We need that. We need that. They need every bit of backing that they can get, really, because because yeah. we can't change it now. We we can't sign anyone to the summer. So let's just get behind this group. What do you make of the, the whole transfer window thing? Because I I was listening to Talksport earlier today, and Simon Jordan was saying that this idea of the transfer windows is kind of this monster that's been created by the media where we all hype up one particular month and mm. it suits the clubs that have got loads of money. But I think the, the example we used was if you're a lower league club and you're in financial difficulty and you can sell a player at any point, you mm. could sell an asset and potentially save yourself. Mm. And we're in a place where that's not allowed to happen. And he was saying it's the only sort of business where there isn't that free trade. D- yeah. Do you think that we make too much of the transfer window nowadays? And because of the media hype. And as a consequence of that, we feel disappointed about something that maybe we've blown out of proportion. Yeah, I don't like it. I've never liked it, really. Um, a bit of excitement, I suppose, around those, you know, the night when we signed Ozil was very exciting, of course, mm. and, and Arshavin as well. But no, it's not for me. I preferred the old days where you could you could move, basically, at any time of the season, up until about Easter. I yeah. think there was a transfer deadline or in late March where you couldn't sign anyone beyond that. And I was involved in that as a player um, a few times. I preferred it that way. I really did. Yeah. And and you make a good point about clubs in need of money. You know, they can offload as they go and, and whatnot. So, yeah, it's and it's better for players as well. You can yeah. end up being in limbo, can't you, for six months, your career completely on hold because you've fallen out of the manager. And, and it might not be necessarily your fault. So... So yeah, yeah, no, I, I I would do away with it, but I don't think that's gonna nah, happen. Won't happen. <laughs> uh, love this screen name, some bloke. <laughs> he says, uh, "Emil Smith Rowe is the new Merson. You played with Merce, Adrian. Uh, can ESR play up top in a pinch?" I guess the question is kind of, it, how do you compare the two? Because Merson was supremely talented. He was a wonderful footballer. Mm. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, he was. He was. A, he's a maverick. He could play central midfield. He could play on either wing. And of course, in his younger days, he was he was a striker as well, and a really good striker. It's a good question. It's a good question. I do I see Smith Rowe as the next Merson though. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. When I seen him striding up that wing and seeing seeing him score the goals that he is, I can see the comparison. I can. I think I earlier on in the season, I, I, I sort of made the comparison with Perez as well. And then you wouldn't have put Perez up up front, would you? Um, no. So, can I see him up front? I, I can't really. I can't. Not unless we played a top a front two. Yeah. Um. Then, then maybe where, where he's making those runs from deep. But in a top, in a front two, I think he would effectively be the number ten. So now I, I think he is a a ten that breaks into the box to score goals, or you know somebody that comes in off the off the left. And I think that's that's a role he does does excellently. But I, I, I've not heard that comparison. I, 
I kind of get it. I do. Um, but Merce was, yeah, Merce was magic. And, uh, and, and Smith Rowe has got that potential. I mean, he's, he's our top scorer. He's, yeah. he's someone that we, that we need, you know, to continue to deliver in the second half of the season. Following on from that question, uh, Jid says, who do you think our most uh, important two players will be heading into the second half of the season? Now, I know you mentioned that the senior guys really yeah. need to step up, but mm. who, if you could pick out two players who you think's form will be the difference between us making it and not making it? Who? Oh, that's, uh, it's a really good question. <laughs> I need them all to, to deliver, of course. Um, I think we need, to, we need to be solid defensively. We're still giving up too many chances. I know that we've got we're getting more clean sheets this season, but I think we've had one or two wobbles. So I think the form of Gabrielle is really, really important to us um, to to get those clean sheets and 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 victories between now and the end of the season. I think he's had an excellent first part of the season, leveled off a little bit recently. But yeah. if he can pick up and, and and get back to some of the form we saw earlier on in the season, he could be huge for us. Uh, between now and the the end of the campaign, um, because I think when Gabriel plays well, we look a we look a better defensive unit, and then uh, I, I've got to say Saka, because if Saka <laughs> Saka's our best player in my opinion, he creates goals, he scores goals, he he carries the team um, in 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 times of trouble as well. Um, so we need Saka to stay fit. We need him to continue. To, to bring those shooting boots that we saw. Um, well, it's only a few weeks ago. It's not that we don't have to go too far back for when Saka was on that hot streak in terms of scoring goals. So, yeah, if Saka can can match or better his goals and assist output in the second half of the season, and if Gabriel can can deliver those those superb early season performances, then, then we've got a great chance. But... I can't ignore. I've got to pick a third, and that's Thomas Partey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to pick him because because he's not delivered as 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 consistently as we'd have hoped, and the potential is there if he can be that beast in midfield that I know and you know, Harry, and I think most fans know he can be on a consistent basis. Then then we can beat a City, we can beat a Liverpool, we can beat a Manchester United, you know, but we need him to be at it in those games for us to do that, in my opinion. So those are the three. Sorry, I've... I've, I've no, 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 that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, going back to Thomas Partey, just briefly, what do you think it's been down to, the fact that he's he's not really performed at the level that we'd like? Because at the beginning, I was quite willing to say, you know, fitness just isn't there. It's been a bit of a problem. It's an adaptation mm-hmm. period. But as time's gone on, He's been picked and, and been available regularly. And then for me, I guess that kind of dilutes the argument about the fitness thing. Yeah, I've still seen performances where I've gone not too sure about this. What would you say is the over overriding reason or, uh, you know, yeah. the cause for Thomas Partey it's a, maybe not? It's a tough being... question. I mean, maybe he doesn't even know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard one to answer categorically. I think... It's got to be a psychological thing, you know, inside his head. There, has he got too comfortable? Has he, is he, you know, has he pushed himself physically um, in matches as hard as he could have done? That is what I would, if I was the manager, that's what I'd be asking him. Is there a bit more that you can give? Because in certain matches, I've seen it. I've seen the aggression turned up, you know, two or three degrees. I've seen those bursting runs 
where, where he's unstoppable. I've seen him get around the pitch to to pick up those loose balls, you know, in, in unbelievable fashion. We don't see it in every game, and and I would demand, I would look, be looking to demand that of him. And I I think it can only be, you know, in terms of mentally. And is he is he because as a footballer, I, I was guilty of it. We all are. You think you're doing well. You think you're doing the best you can do, but sometimes there's there's a bit more in there. There's a bit more in you know inside that heart that you can give, where you turn, you go from doing well and doing good and playing playing decent to turn it up to boiling point. You know, going above and beyond. And I think that's what what I would be looking to to encourage Partey to do between now and the season. Don't settle for just being good. You're capable of of being. You know, being great, different class, um, and and I think it has to come from within him. It has yeah. to. And does it? Does he? Does he have that desire or not? I hope he does. Yeah, fingers crossed. Because as you say, he's going to be really key, really important. Um, guys, we've come to the end of the show. I can see there's over 800 of you with us live right now, which is incredible. Uh, please do hit that like button. Please do subscribe to the channel. And I wanted to finish off uh, the show with a quote, basically from a piece that I came across. In the athletic, it's been shared across social media quite a bit today, and I think a lot of you would have seen it. But I think this is really um, important, and and at a time where a lot of Arsenal fans are losing their minds at the moment um, and, and feeling really down and downbeat about it all, just a, a kind of message to keep the faith. And I think this is great. It says Arsenal's malleability is misguided. You don't win the respect of the fans by acceding to their demands. You do it by showing you know better. The modern Arsenal was built on bold decisions no supporter would have taken. No Arsenal fan would have called for the appointment of Wenger, nor the signing of Patrick Vieira. No Arsenal fan thought they should replace Nicolas Enelka with Thierry Henry, or that Colo Toure would make for a title-winning centre-half. The most successful period in Arsenal's history, from the 30s through to Wenger's teams, can be attributed to the visionaries who dared make decisions others wouldn't. At this precarious point in their timeline, Arsenal need to remember what once made them great. And this is a wonderful piece over in The Athletic. I'll link it in the description. But I think that just encapsulates it encapsulates, sorry, everything about what's been good about Arsenal over the years and that as fans, we can have an opinion and we're entitled to it. But sometimes we need to stand back and see how something's going to develop before we cast judgment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's nothing more for me to add really beyond that quote because it is, it's a really good, it's a really good, you know, three paragraphs there. It's a, it is a reminder. It's about, it's about those that are wearing the badge now fulfilling their potential as well, isn't it? And, um, and I, you know, I, I believe in, a, in these young players. I do think that they have got potential to, to be part of a, of a really special Arsenal moving forward. So look, let's just get behind. My message is pretty simple. It kind of always is the same. Get behind this group of players because I, I think that they're worth it. And, and 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 hopefully they can deliver deliver on their potential. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. There's no point. We can't control these decisions either, can we? We can't. No, exactly. We can't control the decisions that that the club makes. That's what they're paid to do. Let's just let's just support them now. Support the team and and hope to get back in the Champions League because that is still within our reach. It really is. And um, and yeah, if if this team can perform to their ability on a consistent basis, we can get top four this season, but they're underdogs to do it. Yeah. No doubt about that. 
no, completely agree. Adrian, thank you so much, mate. Really, really appreciate you coming on. As always, it's great to get your views and get your opinions. They're always so level-headed and insightful, which is great. <laughs> uh, so thank you so, so much. Let people know uh, where they can follow you on social media and how they can keep up to date with the great Yeah, work. I mean, yeah, just that Adrian J. Clark on, on Twitter. You can see it there. Yeah, I'm on Instagram as well. I, I tend to put up a few work, you know, mainly football-related stuff on, on there. But yeah, no, just get, please... Get, Try and tune in if you. I know that you know a lot of you are frustrated that the breakdown isn't on the on the website. You know, I am too. <laughs> There's nothing that I can do about that at the moment. But but the break, give us give the breakdown live a watch. Um, we we got a really good offering. Um, ahead of the matches at halftime, full time. There's commentary there as well. If you you can always marry it up with the stream mm. that you're watching. If if you are um, watching online, so or at home. So um, yeah, give the breakdown live a watch between now and the end of the season. We're going to be moving actually into a, a executive box at some point between now and the end of the campaign. So we're going to have a, a bit of a reboot of the show, and we're going to be you know broadcasting live from inside the stadium, which is quite exciting with a little studio audience inside one of the boxes as well, which will be quite fun. So um, so yeah, look out for that one later in the campaign. Yeah, check it out. Everybody's always moaning that the coverage on TV is anti-Arsenal. So exactly. why not go to Arsenal for well, the Arsenal? Basically, I, analyze, I I put together a pre-match show where we go deep. We go we dive a little bit deeper on the various tactical aspects that we can expect. It's a proper sort of analysis show, building you up to kick off, and obviously from half time, full time onwards, we do something similar, but with input of the supporters. You know, we, we use the tweets and stuff. So um, yeah, if you if you're unhappy with the TV coverage, come come give us a chance. <laughs> Absolutely. Make sure you do so. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. Until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.